Thank you for joining us today. We'll continue our study of the Gospel of Luke. We'll be discussing what Jesus taught about the four different responses to the Gospel. Which group are you in? Open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 8 and let's find out together. Why don't I get started in prayer? Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this group and the opportunity to gather together. We also thank you for those that are joining us or listening in remotely. Father, we just ask that you bless this time together, lead our discussion, let it be your words, not my words, and just guide the discussion in a way that can help us all as we study today. There are a lot of hurting people out there. There are lots of lost people, and you commanded us to go and make disciples of others. And I pray that this lesson will really resonate with each of us. And I ask that you put on each one of our hearts today someone who is lost out there or maybe they just have gotten off the path and need a little help. If you would place their names on our heart today so that we can engage with them and bring them into the kingdom through the work of the Holy Spirit through us. And we pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in Luke chapter 8. Why don't I just jump right in and then I'll refer back in just a second of a little bit of where we are because it refers to it. It says in verse 1, and it came about soon afterwards. So soon afterwards from what? Remember where we ended up last time where we closed out. Jesus was invited by one of the Pharisees to come have dinner. And that's when a woman showed up, probably a prostitute who had been saved and showed up as Jesus was reclining at table, began to wash his feet with her tears and wiping his feet with her hair and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. And then that's where Jesus gave the illustration about he who has been forgiven much loves much. So that's where we closed out. So it was soon after that. That's where we're going here in chapter 8. And it came about soon afterwards that Jesus began going about from one city and village to another. So he's moving around. Again, this is his final journey. He's on his way to Jerusalem for Passover week. And he's going from city to city, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. So he's teaching the good news, teaching about heaven, and he's teaching that sinners can be saved through their repentance and faith. He's not preaching politics. He's not preaching philosophy or self-help or anything like that. He is there teaching about how to be saved. That's what he came for. He came to save the lost, just like he had done with the woman when we left off in chapter 7. It is a crazy plan, if you think about it. We're all lost sinners, totally lost. Yet the plan was, Jesus, you're going to give up some of the aspects of being deity. You're going to give it up and take on the limitations of a human body. You're going to live a perfect life for 30 years, and then you're going to spend three years training 12 just normal people, not any special people. You're going to pour your life into them for three years, and then... You're going to die on the cross, be buried, resurrected, ascend back to heaven. You're going to leave it with the 12. And they're going to continue telling the story that you've taught them and on and on and on. And that's how you're going to save the world. They're all going to die martyrs' deaths other than John was exiled at Patmos. It's a crazy, crazy, crazy plan. It's a crazy plan. But it's God's plan. And what's interesting is so many people who haven't spent a lot of time in the Bible, 
I've heard this from time to time. Well, Jesus didn't really care much about women. They'll kind of focus on some of the verses about women being submissive and what have you. And they say, Jesus must not have loved women. Well, we're getting ready to see here. He just saved a woman, a prostitute, when we left off last time. And now we're also going to see, as we begin chapter 8, the mention of other devoted disciples who are women. Okay, they're not apostles, but they are very devoted women. And it says, ending in verse 1, the 12 were with him as he's going from village and city to city. Verse 2, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. And now Luke's going to name some of them. Mary, who was called Magdalene, that's because she was from the town called Magdala. That's where that comes from. By the way, as I mentioned last time, there's no evidence that she was a prostitute. There's some people that get her confused with the woman that we read about last time. But there's no evidence of that at all. By the way, Mary Magdalene was present also at Jesus' trial and then also at his crucifixion. And she was the first to see the risen Jesus. In fact, let's just go over there and look at that real quick. Hold your place here and let's just flip over to John 20. It's the next gospel over. John chapter 20. And let's jump in at verse 11. It says, but Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. So this is Mary Magdalene. And as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she beheld two angels in white sitting one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and beheld Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my father and your father and my God and your God. And here's where it identifies which Mary we're talking about. 18, Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. So Mary Magdalene was the first to see Jesus. Again, this was all planned. So don't tell me Jesus doesn't care about women. And what had happened the way Mary had gotten to know Jesus so well, we see here, he had actually removed seven demons from her. She had been suffering from that for a long time. And just because you have demons, that doesn't mean you lived an immoral life. For whatever reason, the demons had gone and taken over her body, and she had suffered with that until Jesus got rid of them. Okay, verse 3, we've got another female. He's not mentioning them all. He just says also some women, and he's naming some of them. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, that's Herod's steward. What this means is Herod's steward would be the person, a very high officer, who would have been managing Herod Antipas' estate. All right? So it's his wife. Now, remember, Herod doesn't like Jesus, so it's pretty amazing that we see here that the wife of one of Herod's very closest officials, that he's in charge of his whole personal estate, is there. 
Joanna was also a witness to Jesus' burial and resurrection. If you want to look at that, I won't take you over there today. We'll get to it in a few weeks or months, depending on our pace. It's in Luke 23, 55, and then also chapter 24, verse 10. So that's another woman. Now here's another one, Susanna. Not much is known about Susanna. Her name is only mentioned here, not mentioned elsewhere in Scripture but probably was known by Luke's readers at the time. They probably knew who Susanna was. And then it says, and many others. This is also many other women. If you see there, it said also some women in verse 2. So he's naming some, and then he's saying many others. And look at what these women were doing. They were contributing to the support out of their private means. So these women were all helping fund Jesus' ministry helping as they went from town to town. These women were taking of their personal finances and helping fund Jesus's travel and ministries and as well as the other disciples as they moved around. So they played a very important role. It's also interesting that it wasn't just Mary Magdalene, but there were other women who we'll read about when we get further into this that were also the first to see Jesus. So Jesus chose to appear first to some of the female disciples before even appearing to the apostles. Very interesting. Okay, let's go back to the text, verse 4. And when a great multitude were coming together, and those from various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of parable. Now, I want you to see there is a great group. You see great multitude? Keep that in mind for right now. I'm going to come back to it in a minute. But he's talking to a big group of people here. Remember, parables are used as an illustration to teach truth. And what we're going to see, we covered this when we studied Matthew 13. And so let me read the parable, and then I'm going to come back. And Jesus explains it, and I'll also add a little color to it. So here's the parable. It begins in verse 5. The sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the road, and it was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. So the road's really hard, no way for the seed to penetrate it. Verse 6, And other seed fell on rocky road, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. So that's the second type of soil that we see. There was no dirt to hold in the moisture. Now there's going to be a third type of soil here in verse 7. And other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. So we've got three bad soils, three bad conditions. And what we're going to see is this is really three bad conditions of people's hearts. All right, I'll come back to that in just a minute. Now here's the fourth soil in verse 8. And other seed fell into the good ground and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. As he said these things, he would call out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. By the way, when we look at our account in Matthew 13, verse 8, and Mark 4, 8, it says there was a yield 30, 60, or 100-fold. On the good ground, there's actually different yields, but I'll come back to that in just a second. And so, verse 9, and his disciples began questioning him as to what this parable might be. Now, it's interesting in verse 9, remember he's talking to a great multitude that we saw in verse 4? But it's only the disciples that had any desire to understand what the parable meant. They're the only ones asking. As we've talked about before, parables were really a common way that rabbis used to explain truth. 
you sort of put a story that people can understand. Remember, these folks, they grew up with agriculture. They were used to farming, so this story made a lot of sense to them. They've seen this happen. But Jesus takes this story that they can understand very easily, and he's trying to explain a truth so that they can understand that. This is really a turning point. In the account in Matthew, Matthew 13, 34, Jesus says that he'll only talk to crowds in parables. Those who would not believe, then they're not going to be able to understand, which is why you only see the disciples here asking for clarification. What is meant by this? Truth would only be revealed to Jesus' faithful followers. At this point now where we are, judgment has now fallen on Israel. They've rejected the Messiah. So they're not going to be able to understand his teachings. And that's why he's using parables now. We can see in verse 10, Jesus says, To you it is granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is in parables, in order that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Because these people, they have now willingly rejected him and the truth as we've been reading And so now God's judgment on them has resulted in them not being able to understand the truth through this parable. So Jesus is now going to explain this parable to them. Remember, this seed, it has been thrown everywhere. So you can visualize the seed is kind of a universal sowing of the word. Do you see that in verse 11, it says now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. So the word of God has been spread universally. The sower here is Jesus Christ or any of his appointed, anybody who would be proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ and the gospel. Those are the sowers, and the seed is the word of God that has been spread out everywhere. And what we see is there's four possible responses to receiving the word. And the first three are not good responses. And Jesus is going to explain those. And the fourth is actually the response that we hope that we've all had. And that is actually believing and placing our faith in Jesus Christ and seeing him as our savior, that we're sinners and we need a savior. And that by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, we have now been saved, our sins forgiven. And now the Holy Spirit can live in and through us to help us now become sowers of the seed. So let's see as Jesus explains this. Now, I want you to remember that he's talking to a great multitude, mainly unbelievers. They have rejected him as the Messiah. But it's also interesting that these people, they've seen him perform miracles everywhere. They've listened to his teaching. Some of these are even some of the religious leaders that are there. They believe in God. All right. They believe in God. But that's not enough. They believe in God, certainly the religious leaders. They believe in one God, but they didn't believe Jesus was the son of God and the savior and that salvation was through faith in him alone. They rejected him as the Messiah. They were living in a way that they were self-righteous. They didn't need a savior. They thought they had Abraham's blood. They don't need any help. They thought they could earn it. They wanted to do it on their own terms. They don't need a Messiah to take care of their sin problem because they didn't see that they even had a sin problem. And remember, we can read in James 2.19 where it says, even the demons believe in God and shudder. Okay, so just having belief in God, it's not going to get you there. If you get to that point, great, you're on par with the demons. All right, good luck. Hope that works out for you. But I've read the book. Sorry, it ain't going to work for you. I know how it ends. 
Okay, that's who he's talking about. So verse 12, and this first group is specifically the folks I've just described, who he's talking to the people who are just rejecting Jesus outright. And those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. So these are people who choose not to accept the truth. They may even understand the gospel. They may, yep, I hear what you're saying, but I just don't believe that. These are people who just reject the gospel outright. They're indifferent. They may be vocal about it, or they may just say, you know, I don't care. That's kind of not my thing. I don't want to hear anymore. No, I'm not interested. So it's not necessarily an atheist, although an atheist can fall into that category. But these Jewish religious leaders, that's what they were like. They were stiff-necked. They were stubborn. They didn't want to hear the message. They just wanted to go their own way. They wanted to do it themselves. And so Satan takes it away, and they do it through false teachers. It's even happening today. There's false teachers who are out there that people say, you know, I don't want to hear all that, but hey, I like what you're telling me. Keep scratching me behind the ears. I love what you're telling me. I'll go with that, but I don't want to hear that Jesus stuff. And so their pride and love of sin, that's one reaction to the gospel. And we've all seen people that are like that. All right, so that's the first soil. So let's look at the second soil. And those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, they receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation, fall away. This belief for a while, this is not saving faith belief. This is more infatuation. This is sort of like, oh, that sounds kind of good. Oh, that kind of seems like the cool thing to do. Uh, Yeah, that's kind of interesting, but their heart is not in it. Their heart is never in it. They're just kind of going along. It might be the conditions are right. They're going along with the crowd. They want to be viewed like even some of these religious leaders. They want to be viewed as being righteous, but in their heart, they don't really have any desire to place their faith in Jesus Christ. It's more of an outward appearance. It's kind of the neat thing to do. And you see what happens. It says they believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. So what happens is it's kind of a cool, neat thing to do for a while. But then as soon as there's some temptation, their fleshly desires really take them where their heart always was. They were infatuated, you might say. We probably all at some point in our life were infatuated with somebody back in the dating scene. But, you know, that wasn't love. It was just an infatuation. That's what this is. I don't know if that's a good description, but I'm just trying to come up with some words that might make sense to you. But in the end, their hearts weren't committed to Jesus Christ. So this is not somebody who had saving faith and then lost their faith. That's not taught in the Bible. This is somebody that never had saving faith to begin with. And once the temptations, these fleshly desires come, that's where their heart really is. That's the priority. They want to live their fleshly life. And so they never get there. So that's the second type of response. Now we'll look at the third type of response. In verse 14, And the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and they go on their way, and then they are choked with worries, and others are choked with riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. These are ones, they hear it, 
but then either the worries of this world or the riches and pleasures of this world take them away. That's their focus. One example of that could be people who are really worried about something so much that they just go, well, God wouldn't allow something like that to happen. I'm not going to believe in that kind of God that's going to let things like that. They're just worried all the time, and they don't trust God. They never did trust God. They heard, but as soon as something comes up or the worries of the world, or they just can't get there. They just say, I just can't believe in that God. So they never have saving faith. On the other hand, riches and pleasures, this is where Jesus talks about how hard it is for rich people, wealthy people, to get into the kingdom of heaven because now they start relying on themselves. They don't need God. It's like, man, I got it. I got everything I need. You know, what's God going to give me? They may have heard and they may have initially thought, yeah, that sounds kind of interesting, but their heart is never there because they're self-reliant. They rely on themselves. And believe it or not, There's people in all three of these first categories that are in our churches today. They are sitting right there today. There's people more than likely in our families. We have friends that fit into these categories. And I'm not saying this, that we ought to be judging them. But I'm going to come back to that shortly. These are people we ought to be praying about and asking God to put on our heart. Identify these people to me. I want to go help them. That's why we've been left here, to go and do that, to help spread the word. Remember this crazy plan that I started off talking about? Well, guess what? We're part of that plan as Christians. And we're now left here to go help others. I venture to say anybody sitting around this table this morning, the reason you're here is because somebody somewhere, some time ago, said something to you. You didn't just wake up one morning and go, huh. I think I feel like being a Christian. No, it didn't happen that way. Somebody said something to you somewhere. And that's why God's left us. That's part of the plan. It's a crazy plan. I mean, I go, you want to use me? Seriously? I mean, not me. Yes, each one of us. We're going to come back and talk about that a little further here in a minute. Verse 15. So here's the good ground. And the seed on the good ground, these are the ones who have heard the word, in an honest and good heart, see where the heart is, and they hold it fast, and they bear fruit with perseverance. Now, let me talk about this perseverance. This is really interesting. I want us to have a little discussion about that, too. Perseverance is the mark of genuine faith. We can probably all think of people. I'll tell you this. I'm just sharing this. I got other stories. This just came into my head. When I went through that difficult trial with my daughter, I did get angry at God. I didn't lose my faith, but I wasn't happy with what I saw him putting my daughter through in my own mind. But you know what? The fact that I was able to persevere through that, and now I can actually look back and see how God worked really good things in my life and other people's lives through that terrible tragedy, that's evidence of the Holy Spirit. There's no way I could have done that on my own. If I did not have the Holy Spirit, I would have said, I don't want any part of you, God. You're going to let this happen. And we all see that happen with people. And when you see that happen, that's evidence that they didn't have saving faith. That's who we were talking about in the bad soils, you see. But when you see people, how many of us have seen people, maybe they lose a spouse or a child or they suffer a terrible tragedy And yet they forgive if somebody caused it, they forgive them. We all have seen this on TV or we know people. 
They forgive the person who maybe made the mistake that caused the person to die. Or if they just died from an illness or something, it's like, hey, yeah, it's tough. I know it's tough, but I know God's going to work some good through this. And I'm glad my spouse or child is in heaven now. I'll see him when I get there. And they move on. And you see that. And what does it do? It encourages, at least it encourages me and my faith when I see people react to tragedy that way. It's like, wow, wow. I hope I can be like that. And we can, but not because we want to, but because God, if we rely on the Holy Spirit, will give us the will and the way to do that. And that's evidence of faith. So when you see Luke talking about in verse 15 with perseverance, that means we're all going to go through some really tough stuff. And how we get through that, other people are watching. So it's not only very encouraging to us to see we got through it and still have our faith and hopefully grew through that. Maybe didn't feel too good when we were going through it. But when you can look back on it and say, wow, you did do something good, even though I didn't enjoy going through it. And other people see the way we handled that. It has a positive impact on them. That's testimony to them because that's not a typical reaction. That can only be the Holy Spirit working in and through you. So it's very powerful. So we see the seed was thrown everywhere, okay? It was thrown on soil, but it was not the message. The message was the same everywhere. The seed was the same everywhere. So it wasn't the message. It wasn't the way the message was delivered. It's not the way we communicate the message to others. It's the heart. It's the heart of the receiver. That's what makes the whole difference. And you see in this first one, the one that fell on the hard soil, that's just a hard heart. It fell on a hard heart. They said no to God one too many times. I can give you scripture on it. It's clear that God will keep knocking, 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 but you keep saying no, 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 no. And eventually, just like Jesus is doing with the Jews, it's like, you know what? Doors closed too late. Your heart's hardened, and you're not going to be able to understand. And I've seen this. We've all seen this when we're giving our testimony and sharing the gospel with people sometimes. It's like their heart is so hard, there's no way you're going to get through. And you can just see it. There's no way to penetrate it. Just not going to get there. All you can do is pray. Just pray for those people. So we're going to come back to that in just a minute. But when people reject Jesus, even the people that I talked about that are in our churches today, and they're just going through the motions and they really haven't given their heart. One of these days they're going to show up and Jesus is going to tell them, depart from me. I never knew you. And they're going to be shocked. They're going to say, wait, I went to church every Sunday. I went to church and wait, and I did these various sacraments and I did this and I did that. And Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. Mm. you know, Larry, you know, one of the best known verses in the Christian world is John 3.16. explains the gospel. But sometimes some people are going to need John 3.18 that says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. That's right. Absolutely right. And the only way to the Father is through the Son. That's good. Let's continue. This is really powerful stuff, though. This is powerful stuff. This is something that you don't hear about a lot, but it is 
it's strong medicine right here. It sure is. And again, it's not that we are to judge others, but we are to discern and let the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit puts somebody on our heart, we got to speak up. That's why we're here. And I can tell you there'll be times when people will just reject you. And you know what? That part is not up to us, okay? We are just to sow. We're supposed to be putting the seed out there. It's the Holy Spirit's responsibility to make it germinate, okay? We don't do that. So if they reject you, that's not on you. Don't worry about it. You did what you were supposed to do. And if they get upset with you, just pray for them. There have been many people, I'm sad to say, I've had people say, God, Larry, you know, you kind of upset them. And I said, well, I'll put it this way to you. I have compassion for them. And I would rather upset them now and try to help them than to say nothing. They go, well, you know, they try to live a good life. And it's like, that's great. But that ain't going to get them anywhere. Have they been perfect? No, nobody's perfect. Exactly. They got to have Jesus Christ. And I'm just trying to help. I'm a sinner too. I'm not condemning them. I'm just trying to show them the way, you know. And if you really love somebody, you're going to want to try to help them. To say, well, I love them, so I don't want to say anything. Well, that'd be like walking your little daughter down the street, and she's about to step out in traffic. It's like, well, if I grab her, she's going to be really upset and maybe cry. So I'm just going to let her walk in front of the car. I mean, is that compassion? You're letting them walk into eternal separation forever from God. So where is your compassion? Where is my compassion? Do we really have compassion and love for others? So I've always imagined, or maybe it was shared with me, I'm sure it was, that there are really three categories. It was the people who outright reject, and all I can do is just love them unconditionally. And then the, the middle category is just what I always refer to as the seekers, people who are seeking. And those are people in church, people that may want to come to church, first-timers. They may have come a long time, but they're still seeking. They just haven't stepped over the line into unconditional belief. Those are the people that I feel that's what we're called for, is that especially that group of people who are seeking. And they may be at the 1% mark or they may be at the 99% mark, but they're all worthy of our time and our effort, our thoughts, words, and deeds. And I hope that I'm choosing the right thoughts, words, and deeds at the right time, being led by the Holy Spirit to reach them. That keeps coming to mind as I'm listening. Yeah, and I would say that we can't judge people's hearts. So we don't always know which category. Sometimes it's clear if somebody just flat out rejects you, that's clear that they've done that. But that doesn't mean you should stop praying for them. That doesn't mean that maybe you planted a seed and somebody else is going to come and actually help take it to the next place. This is one of my favorite stories. I was down in Mexico on a mission trip one time. It was one morning. We did this every day for a week. And one morning, we had a particularly slow morning. I mean, we were out walking the streets, knocking the doors. Nobody was wanting to hear what we had to say. And I could see the group that I was working that street with, everybody was really down. I gathered everybody together and I said, hey, look, we should not be down. Nobody should. You're walking around with a long face and sad like you're doing something wrong. You're not doing anything wrong. Just keep doing what you're doing. We're here to plant seed. We're here to sow. Okay. It's up to the Holy Spirit 
whatever happens, happen. Some of the people that we have shared the gospel with that have then placed their faith in Jesus Christ over the last several days that we've been here, somebody else may have planted seed a long time ago, okay? So look, smile, let's keep going. We're doing the Lord's work, okay? As soon as I turn around, the group's all still together. Here comes this guy selling shaved ice, ice cones, you know, fruit ice cone things, kind of like a snow cone. He comes wheeling up to our group. And he said, for some reason, God told me to come down this street today. You must have something to say to me. And I said, oh, you want to hear my story? So I share the gospel with him. And he goes, so how can I become a Christian? I want to place my faith in Jesus Christ. And we pray, simple prayer. We hug, everybody's going. And he goes, so what group are you all with? I want to start going to a church. What church are you with? And I said, well, you can go with our church, which is right down the street, or we'll help you find a church wherever you live. He goes, Oh, that church? My next door neighbor is the pastor at that church, and he has been trying to get me to become a Christian for 15 years. And I turned to the group and I said, so how do you think y'all's pastor feels? You know, he's been working on this guy for 15 years. He didn't give up. And yet you all get to be the one today that he makes the decision with. And everybody got excited and went back on their way. But it's one of my favorite stories because... We never know if we're the starting pitcher or we're the closing pitcher, okay? We're just supposed to go out there and pitch. That's what we're called to do. And just go pitch. And God loves that you're in the game pitching. That's what he's called us to do. So hope that resonates with you. Okay, let's get back to the text, and I'll finish out real quick, and then we'll open it up for discussion. Verse 16, now no one after lighting a lamp covers it over with a container or puts it under a bed, but he puts it on a lampstand in order that those who come in may see the light. See, that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be the light. We shouldn't be walking around covered up. True believers want to tell others, and it's our responsibility to go tell the gospel to everyone. Again, it's not our responsibility to convert people. I've never converted anybody. Never. I've never converted anybody. Have there been, I don't even keep count. I don't even know how many people. Lots of people come to faith because of the Holy Spirit working through me. Absolutely right, but it wasn't me. I've never converted anybody. Not my job. That's not my job. Verse 17, for nothing is hidden that shall not become evident, nor anything secret that shall not be known and come to light. Therefore, take care how you listen, for whoever has, to him more shall be given, And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away. So there's consequences for our unbelief, and there are serious consequences. People who are relying on themselves or their own self-righteousness or their acts, they think, well, you know, I believe in Jesus, but, you know, I got to do a bunch of things to also kind of earn my way, and I don't really know where I'm going to go when I die, but I know if I keep doing some things, then maybe I can put God into position that he owes me. He owes me my salvation. Uh, That's not the gospel either. You can't earn your salvation through religious things. If that's where you're headed, you're going to lose it all. It says he's going to take it all away from you. Everything you have, your self-righteousness, the things you think that are getting you in, he's taking it all away from you. You got to come with empty hands, a sinner. I got nothing to contribute to this other than my need for a savior. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me just close it off there and we'll come back next time. I'll pick up at 19. 
Let me ask you all from this parable that we've studied, where are each of you and anyone listening today, where are you in this parable? I think we all hope that we're in the good seed, but are we? Where's your heart? Who do you know that may be in one of the first three soils? And if nobody comes to mind, I suggest you pray and ask God to put on your heart somebody who's maybe there that you can help and just tell your own story of what the difference is in your life because Jesus Christ is there. What change that has done, the peace that you have. I know for me, I always just tell people, I mean, when I was a little kid, I knew I was going to hell. I mean, there was no, I was a Catholic. I was going to church every week. I was confessing my sins. I knew I was going to hell. I knew I wasn't getting there. And thank goodness somebody said, hey, this is the way the gospel works, okay? You don't earn it because I wasn't doing a good job of earning it. Thank goodness somebody shared that with me. So I ask you to pray. Who could you be sharing the gospel with? Pray to God to put somebody on your heart. And then when you're in front of that person, pound on your heart, letting you know you need to speak up. And then when you have trials, are we showing others that we've got the Holy Spirit living in us to get us through our trials. When we go through tough times, how are we handling it? Are we handling it with trust in God or are we worrying all the time? Are we complaining all the time? Are we saying it's not fair? People are watching us. And the way we handle it can not only give us encouragement that I couldn't have gotten through that without the Holy Spirit, you know? That's encouragement to us. And when we can place our faith in Jesus Christ to get us through those tough times, it impacts everyone around us because they go, how did you do that? I can't tell you how many times people have asked me, where do you find that peace? All that stuff that particularly when it was really bad, when our daughter was in the hospital all the time, they go, where do you find that peace? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Yeah, it doesn't take that long. I mean, it's Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. So think about people that you have seen that from. I'll share one more story. One of my very best friends, and I've talked about him before. We've actually prayed for him in this group. He lost his wife. They'd been married, I don't know, probably close to 40 years. And she got cancer, had battled cancer for, I don't know, over 10 years. And he lost her. In fact, I mentioned to you, they actually went to Israel with my little group that we went. She knew she was on her last legs, and that's one of the last things she wanted to do. And she even told the doctors, or chemo doctors, they said, you can't go to Israel. You've got chemo every day. She goes, you're the doctor. Figure it out. I'm going. You figure it out. That's what you're getting paid for. Figure it out. And she went. And what a trooper. Never complained, ever. The whole time we were there and we had a grueling trip and we got back and it wasn't that long after that that she passed. And to see how my friend handled it, did he grieve? Absolutely. Was he brokenhearted? Absolutely. But the peace he had knowing his wife was in heaven and knowing he's told me so many times, even going through that with her, how much closer he became through that process in his relationship with the Lord. He misses her dearly, but the positive way he's gone about even the grieving process, I've told him he's been an inspiration to me. It's like, I'm not sure I could go through that the way you've gone through it. And he hurts. Don't get me wrong. He hurts bad. But there's this other piece of him that he's just at peace. It's like, I'm going to see her again. She's where she needs to be. 
she wouldn't want to come back here after she's seen that up there anyway, you know? And she just beat me there. And I hope she's up there kind of getting it nice so when I get there, you know? Uh, he's just got an incredible attitude, which is an encouragement to me and everyone around him. And so I want to ask myself and each of us, do we live our trials that way, our difficult times? Or do we wear them right on our sleeve and tell everybody, look what I'm going through and, oh, you know, complain and not fair. And hey, I've been known to do that myself. So I'm asking myself that too. How could we do that? And then finally, I'd ask what temptations or pleasures or what things are in our own life that are getting in the way of us raising our relationship with the Lord to that next level? What things are we hanging on to? And I'm not saying that they're getting in the way of us having saving faith, although they might be if our heart's not right. But assuming you have saving faith, what are those fleshly desires that we've been still kind of hanging on to saying, yeah, but I just need to kind of keep this my blankie. You know, I kind of want to keep this for a while. Pray to have the Holy Spirit put that on your heart and take that away so we can be 100% devoted to Jesus Christ. So what questions, comments, how else can we apply this today? A lot in this first part of this chapter. One of these examples, the last one is the one about the riches, about going to church every week, but angry, tied up with the riches thing, focused on the riches thing. How do you address somebody like that? How do you go to them and say, you're me without being judgmental and just say, I just see a lot of anger. I mean, you're just missing it. You just seem angry. You're just focused on money. You're, your heart's not right without coming across as being judgmental because to me, their heart's not right. Yeah, I think one of the things that is really huge is when you see somebody having like a dark heart like that, Yeah. Uh, just get into what brings them joy. And usually people get around to the thing that gives me joy. I feel most alive when I'm doing a deal. I feel... And then you go, what happens when the deal doesn't come out or the deal goes south? What's kind of like your disposition feeling? And usually they'll say, man, it's my fault. I'm off. There's a lot of shame involved. Like, I blew it. And that's why if you don't have empathy for yourself, you can't have empathy for others. And you become really a jerk. And so then the thing that you sort of point out to, what's your true treasure? Is your true treasure wealth? Or is your true treasure Jesus or something even greater if they're not a Christian, you kind of start, what's the true treasure? What's your ultimate thing? Because whatever your ultimate thing, that's what you worship. That's what you'll sacrifice time yeah. for. That's what you'll sacrifice family for. That's what you'll sacrifice all sorts of stuff for the greater cause of what. And then at the end of the day, when you have all of that what, that's why I love Peter. And the, you know, the, He gets all the fish, and he's like, go away from me, Lord. So he just had the biggest catch of his life. We should be doing this every day. If that was what life was all about, then that's it. But it's not, once you achieve the very greatest thing, or you know, then you're done, you're like, now what? It's like Tom Brady um, was asking, which Super Bowl was your favorite? He's like, the next one. And I think that's where a lot of us are. It's the next thing, and eventually we're gonna run out of next things, and we're gonna come up with emptiness. And I think that's showing people the reality of the emptiness of their pursuit is a difficult task, because yeah. you have to be very deft with your language, and so you don't come off as a jerk. But, you come off with like, what happens when you get whatever it is that you're wanting, then what? And then they would say, I don't know. And then you say, well, here, there's an answer for that, and, uh, and ultimately it's in Jesus. That's good. Well, yeah, no, I'm with you. Yeah. But the question is, how do you get to that? Yeah, 
how do you yeah. it's the deaf language i think of yeah being skillful with another approach and it's going to vary depending on who the person is and where you are but yeah. most of us find the easiest thing is to talk about ourselves and so since that's really easy and natural it's real easy to say hey it looks like you're down and can i just share a story with you where i was really in a bad place and how i found some help usually they're not going to say no i don't want to hear whatever story you have they go yeah and, and then just tell your story we've all been through trials and just talk about what you went through and how you couldn't have gotten through it without Jesus Christ and the peace you have now knowing no matter what you're dealing with here, there isn't anything, there's nothing. It doesn't matter how bad it is. It ain't that bad because we're only here for a short time anyway. I know where I'm going. This is my home. I'm just here. I'll enjoy whatever blessings I got, what come my way. When difficulties come, look, I'm still working on this. I'm not telling you I mastered it. But when you can just say, okay, what are you trying to teach me through this? Teach me something. But that short little trial is nothing compared to eternity. And I know where I'm going for eternity. Yeah, it's a theme that come up in movies and songs where somebody has used their life to accumulate wealth or power. And then all of a sudden they get a terminal illness and they realize they've got 30 days left to live. And they want to go back in 30 days and make up all the relationships of and they ignored their children or divorced their wife. Whatever they suffered through pursuit of temporal wealth and power that they gave up in relationships and things that are eternal in the Bible, that, you know, what we're supposed to be pursuing are things that are eternal that are related to love, not wealth and power that are temporal. You want to see a perfect illustration of that? Go watch the video. I'm forgetting the name of the song. It's Johnny Cash's very last video before he died i think it's called hurt i think that is the name of it but go watch that video and that's basically he's saying look i accumulated all this stuff i accumulate all and it's nothing it's just like dirt it's nothing it's nothing it's very very powerful another example was Deion sanders gave his testimony on bear grills i don't know if y'all ever see this but it was so powerful and he gave his testimony. He said, I had it all. I had wealth and I had nothing. I lost my family. I lost my kids. I lost money. I lost everything. And he said, I found Jesus Christ. And man, it was just. And he's bold about it all over the place. And this was on national TV. And I mean, it was so powerful. Thank you for joining us today. I'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to me at LarryO'Donnell.com. You can also sign up to receive this weekly podcast and my weekly blog at LarryO'Donnell.com. I hope you'll join us next time as we continue our study.